Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. Hey, it's great to be here. This is our last time to be with you guys. And I want to say what a joy it's been to be here this week at the conference and with Pastors Frank and Sharon and their team, they're special people. He was a great blessing to our church when he came to our conference at Stronger last year in September and had a great deposit into us, our leaders. We have a network of churches that we are responsible for in the UK. And Frank kindly spoke to all of our network leaders and pastors that came in from around the country. And I know with all the response we've had from them since, had a great input to their world too and helped explain some of them to them. And uh, just in his style and his ability to interpret the word, to make complicated things simple, is a great gift. And I know you guys don't take that for granted, because I know we don't when he comes to us. So to be here is a joy for me to sort of reciprocate a little bit and come and input to his world and to the conference. And again, to be with the church this weekend, we thank you. Hey, my parting shot to you guys here, 217 Rocky Butte, is... That God is drawn to emptiness. He is not drawn to fullness. And any church that doesn't understand that is already in trouble. And our days are limited. And our life is limited. God is drawn to empty people and empty lives. Empty communities. And this strategy that Frank has spoken about several times this week. That I am growing to understand of surrounding this metropolitan area with these kinds of opportunities for people to come to church, to hear this voice, to have exposure to the gospel, I know comes from his and the team's heart to go to emptiness and to give an opportunity to the people in that emptiness to hear what we hear and to have a chance near where they live, within a short distance from where they live, to be able to connect with the gospel and the church to experience our love as we include them and reach out to them. If you were to ask me where's God in this room, I'd tell you he's hovering by his spirit like he was in the beginning in Genesis 1. He's hovering over every empty seat in here. He's not hovering over the full ones because you're here and you're saved and that's full. The problem throughout history, I think, has been that the church is not drawn to emptiness. The church is drawn to fullness. We like the feel that gives us. We like the security, the comfort, the sense of success even. that Full buildings and full programs and full lives and full diaries and full social calendars give us. But God is always drawn to emptiness, to the lost, to people that don't know Him yet. And in the beginning, the Holy Spirit, the first time we see Him mentioned, He is hovering over the face of the deep and he is anxious and he is passionate to get involved in bringing order to the emptiness and to the chaos. When the, when the widow's oil miracle took place, you'll remember that, that God stopped when the woman ran out of emptiness. And God always stops when churches stop finding empty people. There's a lot of empty people in this community. There are millions, as far as I understand, and certainly hundreds of thousands in some of these more highly populated areas that are empty. They're living empty lives. And unless a church understands that our mandate, our commission, is not to be satisfied with the degree 
a fullness we've discovered, as awesome as that is for us, but our continual mandate is to those that are not yet reached. And if I can build our church in England in a 97% non-church attending nation, I have to work very hard in our country to constantly keep before the people in our church this understanding. Every now and then I look at these statistics, like most leaders do, of our growth and who's responding and where they're coming from. And a couple of years ago, I remember looking at the responses and realizing that probably 60 or 70 percent of the people responding to Christ in our services were really two categories. They were either people from out of town, because very few churches in England uh, give a gospel presentation, or certainly at the close of their services, give an appeal opportunity for people to come to Christ. And, and we do that. It's part of our culture, and I know it's part of yours here. And so people that do have a church experience, but know if they take their unsafe friends and family to that church, they can't be guaranteed that they will have an opportunity to respond to Christ. So they get in a car and they drive to a church that they know will do that. And so we obviously do that. And so they were coming, bringing their people and friends, knowing that we would give a chance to do that. And so many of the people coming to Christ were from out of town. Now that's good. We don't mind reaching people from out of town. But really we don't exist to populate other churches. We exist to populate our church from our community primarily. And we're glad to help out, but if that's the main thing we're doing, it makes me question, what are the rest of us doing about the people that are not from out of town? The second category of people that were mainly responding in that, in that 100%, the, that made up the majority up towards 70%, was people that were reached through our CAT teams, community action teams. And we have a large inner city involvement, and we reach about... 10 or 15,000 people a month in our inner city with feeding and clothing and counsel and education and transportation and various support, things that we do, structures to families. We work in concentrated areas in some of our council estates or project areas you might know them better as. And the majority of the other group besides the out-of-towners were people that were being reached through the community action teams that were bringing in these people they were contacting through the week and people they were loving and helping and bring them into the services and many of these people, mainly poor and very needy and very empty people were coming to Christ. Now, it made me ask myself then, what are the rest of the church doing? And I want to ask you this morning, what are you doing to grow this church? Not what are the evangelistic teams doing, not what are the evangelistic types doing, not what are the young people doing, not what are the new believers who tend to still have a connection to the lost doing, but what are you doing personally? What are you doing to grow this church? When is the last time you brought someone to church? Here, 217, Rocky Butte, when's the last time you brought someone to church? Because I want to say to all of you, if you look around here and at Rocky Butte at the empty seats, you, not God, you are responsible for those seats. You are responsible to fill the emptiness that exists in your buildings, in your communities, in your circle of love and inclusion, all the emptiness that's around you. See, I'm saying this because there are many churches around the world who believe that God just does this. We believe if we pray, people will show up. We believe if we 
do enough shabba dabba doing, then it'll just happen. And I believe in prayer, and I believe in speaking in tongues, and I believe in that heart, passion for lost people. But I've got to tell you, when we reinvented our church from being a comfortable full church that was not reaching empty people to the new kind of church we have become, which is completely lost-focused and lost-centered, when we transitioned our church, I'm telling you, some of the biggest weepers and intercessors for the lost were my biggest hindrance to reaching the lost. Because they thought the lost would come into church and look like Mormons. But when the lost came, they messed up our church. And they were inconvenient. And they were rude. And they were insensitive. And they were unruly. And they were disorderly. And they smoked cigarettes. And they used language that was not in the King James Bible. And they used hand gestures that were not in the highway code. <clears throat> and many of our church were upset. And I realized that our church that was crying for the lost and were singing songs about reaching the lost, and were prophesying about the lost, were actually not reaching anyone. And, you know, if you talk about a thing long enough, and you pray about a thing enough, and you get emotional about the things you talk and pray about, honestly, you can convince yourself that you're actually doing something. It's called virtual reality evangelism. We think we're actually reaching people because we feel bad about it, we weep about it, we pray about it, and we think all of that actually is the equivalent of talking to someone, and it's not. Nobody's reached until you and I reach them. Not the pastors, not the leaders, not the structured evangelistic things that we do. In fact, any church that tries to grow by evangelistic events is doomed. Please don't build your life on an event. This must be the very core, the very DNA of all that we do is to own and take responsibility for the emptiness that exists in our towns and cities and communities. I'll tell you there is competition for this emptiness, not from other churches, but from all kinds of things inspired by the devil that are attempts to own and claim and fill the void in people's lives and if we are not there as a viable, credible, relevant, strong option for the void that is in most people's lives, then they will choose all kinds of things that will deepen their sense of emptiness and deepen their sense of lostness way before we show up. And all we are doing often is we're in the bunker of church life praying for people. And that's good, but it's no good if it's not accompanied by reaching people talking to people, including people, just living with an all-inclusive circle of love. I remember um, about, a, about 12 months or maybe more than that ago, it was certainly two Christmases ago, we were having a party at our home, and I remember um, we parked cars down the lane from where we live. We live in an old farmhouse in the countryside, and we can't really park too many cars on the small lanes uh, around our home and so we had a guy go out with one of these traffic batons that glow in the dark to wave traffic into this parking area near our home and we borrow it from some of the offices that are there and they let us use their car parking we had about a hundred people in the home and uh, this gentleman from our church was waving in traffic and he suddenly waved in this car because there's a narrow lane the road's black there's not much lighting and he's he, 
this buttons he needed just to wave this car in when he went over to the car he'd waved in the lady put the window down and she was crying and she said why have you made me come in here then he realized she wasn't actually coming to the party she just happened to be driving up the lane at the party time and he assumed because most of the traffic was coming to our house and he could only see headlights, it's dark, couldn't see who it was. He just assumed it was someone else that was looking where to park and he, he sort of beckoned her into the car parking area. <clears throat> well, the lady was upset and what didn't help is this man called Robbie had like a, a Russian military type hat on to sort of keep his ears warm. So she must have thought it was the KGB or something and... Or some military person, I don't know, she must have freaked out. And so he looked a bit threatening. And anyway, at the end of the night, I said to him when he came back in the house and everybody was in, I said, how did it go? Everything okay? So we did, we did have an accident and explained to me what I told you, that I flagged a lady in by mistake. And he said that she was very upset. And then I said, well, you know, you're free to go. Don't think you have to stay here. And explained to her who he was and was very apologetic. And <clears throat> that night as I lay in bed, the Holy Spirit spoke to me about that picture. And he said to me, Paul... He said, what Robbie did when he waved that lady in to that car park is how I want you to build this church. And I said, Lord, what do you mean? And God said to me, I want you to assume everybody is coming to the party. He said, I don't want you to ask me for a list of who I've invited. Because that's what most of the church are doing. We want to know by word of knowledge and divine appointment who God's inviting. I don't want you to pester me and bother me with who I'm inviting. I simply want you to love who I'm loving, which is everyone. And God was trying to help me continually to keep growing our circle of love as a church to embrace and include everyone without being too picky and choosy and careful about it. Because what Robbie did that night when he waved that lady in was he removed from her the choice of whether or not she would come into his world. He didn't stop and he wasn't careful. He didn't try to check the registration. He didn't stop her before he waved her in and asked her her name and was she from the church and was she coming to the Scanlans. He didn't do that. He just waved her in. He wasn't careful. And some of you are way too careful about people you reach. Some of you live your life praying for an opportunity. Why do you do that? Don't you think that just being alive is an opportunity? Don't you think that when someone reached you, and all of us were reached by someone, aren't you glad that the people that reached you did not treat you as a divine appointment or an opportunity? Because seriously, some of us were running out. Some of us were getting close to the wire, and we didn't have much time left before someone helped us. I don't want to build a church that's careful about reaching people. I just don't. I want a church that just goes bleh and just, just lets it all hang out, just lets it all flow out to the people in their communities, their workplaces, where we do school, college, university. I want people just to be so free and so natural with our life and our love and our inclusion. And I don't mean preaching at people. I mean simply Letting what's in our heart, which is awesome. You know, you are an awesome piece of kit. God's church is just an awesome group of people. I mean, you are irresistible. You are. But we forget that. And so what is there about you not to love? What is there about Jesus not to love? 
But if we misrepresent him by being relationally dysfunctional and socially misfitting, if we come across to people like they are evangelistic projects to be conquered, rather than people to be loved and included in our world, then people will be afraid of the church and people will freak out when we seem to be coming their way. They'll say, oh, it's that Bible basher who's coming down the corridor. Let's all dive through the nearest door for fear that they'll do a, a gospel presentation on us. I'm not, I'm not talking about that either. I'm talking about us owning the emptiness by saying, I live here. My friends in the church live somewhere else, but I live here and I'm responsible for the emptiness that's around me. Turn with me just quickly to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 17. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Now the Apostle Paul was not big on rules. So if the Apostle Paul says, this is a rule issue, we ought to pay attention to this because it's something very, very fundamental to Paul for him to make this a rule in all the churches. Watch what he's making a rule. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Listen to this. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called in Christ is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. In other words, Paul's saying, you are responsible to own the emptiness that's around your life that you found yourself in when God saved you. And Paul's addressing what was happening in the Corinthian church that, were, that was inadvertently sabotaging God's master plan of evangelism. God's master plan of evangelism is simply this. God creates people, and, and Paul gave this master plan in Acts 17 when he talked to the, the people, the religious people in Athens. And, and Paul said to them, God, God created people, and then God determined the exact times where they should live. And God determined the seasons that they should live in. And God did this, Paul said, so that people would reach out to him and find him. In other words, God's global master plan for evangelism is that he brings you when he brought you. He determines where you're born and when you're born. In what century, what generation, what country, what town, what village. He determines that, not you, and not your parents. And then when God brings you in his time, then God, around your life, when he saves you, he saves you at some point in your life, and he saves you and is directly linked. When God saved you and saved me, it's directly linked to who else 
is in your world at that time. In other words, God's reaching you so he can reach those around you when he reaches you. And the church at Corinth had this thing going on. And we read about it just in the verses prior to this where people that were getting born again and realized after they got born again that their partner that they had married whilst they were not born again is an unbeliever. And so Paul's addressing this issue that if you are married to an unbelieving wife, don't leave her now that you've become a believer because God knew before he saved you that your wife would be unsaved. What these people in Corinth were doing were saying, now I've got saved, I made a mistake of marrying this woman, I should have waited and married a Christian woman. As if God made a mistake, as if God went, oops, I should have waited, I saved you too late. That's really the implications of this. Then Paul's saying, some of you that got born again whilst you are in the employment of a heathen slave-owning master, you now get born again, and you're now running away from your slave owner. That's what he's saying. And some of you that are doing that are not realizing that when God saved you, he knew that you were working in that household, and that's why he saved you. He wanted you to start there, Owning the emptiness of that often difficult context you were born again in, you are now responsible to stay there and to make a difference there, not to bolt the fence, run away, saying to yourself, as a slave, I have no mobility, I have no finances, I have no freedom to preach the gospel, to attend church. I know God, I will help you out. I will tidy up my life and I will get away from this slave owner so that God can use me. There were others that were saying, I am circumcised and I believe that will be a disadvantage to me because I want to reach others that are not Jewish. And so Paul said, some of you that when God saved you, you were Jews. Now you want to behave like you're not a Jew so that you can reach non-Jewish people. And he said, there's others of, others of you who when God saved you, you're a non-Jew. And now you're going to go and get circumcised thinking that if I am a Jew, it'll maybe help me be more effective, give me more credibility. And so these people are rearranging their lives by all manner of movements and choices they're making. And Paul's saying, whoa, stop, you don't get it. Paul said to them very clearly, he said, I want you to retain the place in life assigned to you, which you were in when God called you. In other words, your assigned place for productivity and fruitfulness and effectiveness was determined before, not after you were saved. Now, to everybody listening to me today, and those listening by this CD teaching later on, some of you listening are doing this. You are saying, I can't serve God in this situation. And so you are doing things now to try and tidy up and improve your life, not knowing that you are messing with an assigned place that God has you in perfectly, 
to be used by him. Single mums that say, I can't serve God in this situation until I get married, until I get more finances, until I get more stable. What good am I to God? What good am I to growing the church? We've got business people who want to be in ministry. And God saved you because he knew that you were in business and he wants to use your ability in business to live an assigned life, retain that place that God found you in. But we've got so many people in business that want to be pastors. And we are tampering with the assigned place that God needs us to stay in for maximum effectiveness. And when Paul's finished giving these categories of slaves that are trying to run away from masters and non-circumcised, trying to be circumcised and unsaved husband, unsaved wives being divorced by their saved husbands, Paul's saying, listen, you should remain in the situation you were in when God called you. If slaves run away from masters, and that's the idea, and that's what you ought to do to tidy up your life, then Naaman would never have been reached through the young Hebrew slave girl that was the one that first told him that there's a prophet in Israel that can help you with your leprosy. But if she understood that the idea is we run away because the situation's not conducive to my Christianity, I'll go and join Bible college, I'll go and join a commune, I'll go and be part of a Christian group where I can just live a better life and be more free to express my faith, then Naaman would never have been reached. When Israel were in captivity for 70 years, there were two schools of thought amongst them about the situation. Some said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange place? We're in Babylon, we're in captivity, we are Hebrews, but we can't be Hebrews here. And so they hung their harps in the willow tree, they put their instruments away, they closed down the band, there was no worship, because we're in a strange land and we don't have the liberty to do our thing here. Because it's not approved of, we're not given opportunity, nobody lets us do our church thing here, and so we'll just gut it out and have a survival mentality until we get delivered. That was one school of thinking, and it was the majority school of thinking. There were others like Esther, and like Daniel, who had a different mindset. They said, we're in captivity, but whilst we're here, we ought to make a difference. We believe God can use us in this strange place. To these captives, Jeremiah said, hey, I know you're in captivity, but God says to you, build houses, marry, settle down, buy land, invest, plant crops. In other words, God's saying to them, your time in that land is just as much a part of my assignment for you as before you went and after you leave. And God said to them, if you bless the community you're in, then you will contribute to lifting it and prospering it and bringing what's in your heart to it rather than going on hold and into survival mentality whilst you are there until you get out of it. And some of you in difficult situations close down, curl up and say, I can't be who I really am until situations improve. Some of you are in a crummy situation right now and I've got news for you. You're in an assignment from God. Your crummy situation is a situation that God needs you to own. And God needs you to be who you are called to be and who He's made you to be and who we keep preaching about that we are 
in that assigned situation. Success in life comes from sticking with your assignment. And your assignment didn't start after you got saved. It started before you got saved. God knew exactly where you'd be, what you'd be doing, where you'd be at prior to saving you. And you need to know that God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need little helpers to tidy up your life thinking, I'll give God a hand. Do you know God is entirely capable all by himself of getting you absolutely anywhere in life from where you think is nowhere. You think your situation is nowhere and nothing and too far gone. God can get you anywhere from where you think is nowhere without your help trying to tidy it all up. Listen, I've had some crummy jobs in my life. I've had some jobs I hated. I haven't always done what I do now. We got married at 16 and 17, my wife and I, and we were broke. And when I, mean, when I say broke, I mean broke. I don't mean we had savings somewhere we weren't mentioning. I mean proper broke. I mean nothing and owing everywhere broke. And so I did all kinds of jobs just to put food on the table and feed the children. We had three kids by the age of 20. And we were just trying to keep our head above water like some of you received prayer for this morning. And I knew every time that I tried to escape that situation, tried to bolt the fence, tried to get away from it, pretend it wasn't happening, God always, always did not help me. But simply was letting me realize that if God in me is not big enough to have dominion and have strength and be happy and make a difference in what many of those situations were crummy situations then what kind of God did I think I had connected with? And some of you are in crummy jobs. And I'm not saying that crummy job, you need to love it. I, I think with jobs, you know, um, your dream job may be down the line. But there's something for you to do in that situation. There's people that need reaching. Somebody maybe needs you to be there for a while. I don't know. And I just think, you know, it's a frog. It's not the prince, it's a frog. So just kiss it. Don't marry it, but kiss it. And I'm telling you, I've kissed lots of frogs that I didn't marry. Now I've met my prince, which is doing what I do now. This is my prince, but all those jobs were frogs. And those frogs provided something for my family. And I saw every time I was in those, it was my signed place to be there for a season of my life. And I found something in every situation that was my contribution to the planet. And so can you. Hey, time's gone. Let's stand together. Let's just close our eyes. Father... Oh, we want to make a difference in our generation. We don't want to play church. We just don't want to play church, Lord. We just don't want to contribute to that ongoing saga of endless church life that we enjoy but is not helping the lost. I pray that every heart will be disturbed. I pray that there will be a divine sense of discomfort and unsettling in everyone's heart in this entire church. I pray City Bible Church will never ever settle. I pray that there'll be this sense of divine upheaval in the core of the church with regard to the responsibility to keep reaching the lost. I pray that you will trouble us, keep us awake at night. Don't be soft on us, Lord. There'll be no compromise. There'll be no deal on the side for any of us. I pray that at the very heart of the church, there'll be a deep driving passion 
that supersedes everything else to reach another one and reach another one. I pray everybody take responsibility. Everybody at 217, everybody Rocky Butte, everybody in every community represented. You are responsible for the emptiness around you. Not the visiting speaker, not the event that comes to town, not the evangelistic people that come and do your job for you. You have an assignment from God right where you are, as awful as it might be. You are the answer there. You are God's ambassadors there. You are God's advanced troops. You are the pioneers. You are the bringers of new hope and of life and of joy. You are difference makers. You are salt. You are light. You've got what it takes. You've got all the goods. To you that have been in this church for 10, 20 years, I say to you, what are you doing to grow this church? You that have settled down. You that are now so busy with church so busy with services and so busy with things that need to be done. I want to say to all of you, what are you doing to grow this church? When's the last time you invited someone, included someone, told someone about the great things God's doing in your life and through this church? I'm calling all hands on deck. I'm issuing general quarters across the church. No one has an excuse. Everybody has an assignment. Stop interfering with where God's placed you. And simply flourish where you are planted. Hallelujah. I pray this for the church here. In the name of Jesus now and way into your future. Thousands and thousands and thousands are waiting to join this church. But they never will unless you reach them. I pray this weighs heavy on every heart and mind across the church in the coming months and years that you see incredible harvest by becoming incredible harvesters. In Jesus' name, amen.